वन ब्यूटीफुल मॉर्निंग गौतम बुद्धा हैड गॉन फॉर ए वॉक विथ हिस केयर टेकर डिसाइपल आनंदा इट वॉज फॉल टाइम trees were almost getting naked and all the leaves were on the path and the wind fluttering the trees and the leaves were making beautiful sounds walking on those leaves Buddha was immensely happy the music of the dry leaves he took few leaves in his hands ananda asked him i have been always thinking to ask one thing but privacy is so difficult you are always surrounded by people today you are alone in this forest i cannot resist the temptation i want to ask you have you said everything to us or have you kept some secrets buddha said do you see the leaves in my hands and do you see the leaves all over the forest ananda said yes i do see but i don't understand that that is the answer buddha said you will understand i have said only this much and i have kept secret all these leaves that are in the whole forest my situation is just different i have said the whole forest only one thing i have kept secret just one leaf buddha had declared before his death 
that he will be coming after 25 centuries and his name will be Maitreya the Maitreya means the friend Buddhas don't come back. No enlightened person ever comes back. So it is just a way of saying. What he is saying is of tremendous importance. It has nothing to do with his coming back. He cannot come back. What he means is that the ancient relationship between the master and the disciple will become irrelevant in 25 centuries. So, um tradition, tradition yeah. versus non-tradition. Um so I was thinking like there's a couple of ways to approach this, but maybe you want you maybe you want to kick it off because, as I said, I'm I'm a bit low energy. I want to hear what you got to say about it, um, in general general terms. Okay, can you? Um, um, yeah. So sure. Do you want to kick us off? Um, tradition versus non-tradition. Uh, yeah, just in a general general sense, maybe what we're getting at, um, things to consider. It's, it's a big topic. Okay. Yeah, big topic. Well, if if your guys like us, um, or you're listening to this, probably you are doing some kind of some type of practices, whether they're you know it's like self development stuff or spiritual practices or or something like this, you're trying to change yourself in some way, improve yourself, or have an um, uh, an awakening or whatever it is you're interested in. Uh, the first thing you come across is there's hundreds of different things to do from all different places. There's techniques, methods, cures, treatments, all these things. So the problem you have is which one to do. Um, so the first thing is some of them are good, some of them are bad, but everyone says their thing is the best and the other ones are rubbish. So you have to decide which ones are good, which ones are bad, and then you have to find which ones are suitable to you. That There might be several that are good, but you're more suited to doing one of them or you can only find a practitioner in your local area or you just have access to one of these techniques. Uh, just put by luck or whatever. So what you'll find is you start playing with different techniques, doing different practices, you're reading books, and you're try you're just experimenting with stuff and then you're not really sure what ones to do. And then you'll eventually you'll come across the kind of debate that goes on between people sometimes about whether you should be doing one set of practices that are um, embedded with one within one um, proper tradition and you stick to that and you go really deep on that or whether you can just pick and make different pick and mix different practices from different traditions different cultures different countries and get them to work together for you individually so if you have a like if you go down the traditional route everything's already there for you depending on which version of which tradition obviously there's lots they'll have um 
everything from specific practices to do with uh, ethical rules um, and other kind of uh, other kind of things that come with it and all go together and it kind of works as a system. Uh, or you can just take one of the practices out and do it on your own and, and see what happens. People get success with both of them. Some people prefer one more to the other. Uh, some people are really hardcore about one or the other. Um, it's different for different people. Uh, I've alternated between the both viewpoints throughout my life in different ways. And I've been more into one or the other. Uh, there's pros and cons of each. And I've kind of came to some kind of synthesis for myself, which we'll maybe talk about later. But I'd be interested to know the kind of things that you're, what kind of things are you doing that are, you would, that would be classified as uh, under one specific tradition and what kind of things are you just picking and mixing from different places or integrating things together or do you how do you think about these things Alex? Um, I'd say that first of all I'm a heretic uh, in many ways second of all I before I say what I'm going to say I, I don't have anything against religion I just want to make that clear I know a lot of religious guys like online I know um, several Buddhist monks, uh, other people like that. I got nothing but respect for people that choose to undertake something like that. Um, so, so if you're one of those people, please don't get offended by anything I say, but I, so, so I do practice Zazen and I have probably for a long time, uh, that includes going to sessions, uh, working with a master, um, uh, having a, a relationship you know, with a master uh, in terms of like uh, learning, uh, you know, higher levels of things, if there is such a thing in Zen, which is probably a bad way to put it, but at least taking my studies more seriously. Um, so what I've found over the years is that my view on these uh, religious traditions is that they offer you uh, a foundation or something to hold on to as you go through the process that the um, the esoteric material, not not the exoteric material or the material of the religion itself, but the the esoteric experiential material, particularly in a path like Buddhism, and I guess it's the same with yogas and Hinduism, uh, even Christianity. I guess if you're a monk or you do say the uh, the work of uh, what's his name? Loyola, Loyola uh, which includes meditations. So anything in the more esoteric realm, uh, I feel like you're undergoing a process of change. There are certain rules that you follow during this change that are usually designed to make that process easier. And the religious form, so the, the clothes, the prayers, the words, the rules, the ethics, all the accoutrement, I think that they offer you something to hang on to because a lot of the time, the process that you undergo can be quite challenging and quite difficult. It's not not just a walk in the park. <laughs> well, not if you do it properly. Um, you do have to confront certain things and certain energies come up that may be less than pleasant. Having said all that, having said all of that, for someone like me, and you're probably probably the same from what I'm gathering, over the years, I've come to the understanding that 
the religions themselves, in my opinion, can actually get in the way of what they're trying to achieve. And the, and the way it does this, and I've spoken about this before, but it's this idea of spiritual materialism and you get really tied up with the traditions and the rules and all these other things that you become attached to them. You become attached to them in a way that someone's attached to watching football on a Saturday. It's really no different. Um, so, you know, you see all these hippies, they go to festivals, do yoga, and they've got like dreadlocks and they all look the same way. They wear the same clothing. This kind of thing, this spiritual materialism is just basically kind of adopting another type of personality. And if, if the aim of the work is self-understanding, I think that very often the religious element can get in the way of that process if you're not very careful. It doesn't necessarily have to, but what I find that it, it does tend to in the people that I've known. So, <clears throat> pardon me. The way I tend to view it is that the, es the esoteric elements or the practices can absolutely be taken away from the religious exoteric rules and accoutrement if you have the, uh, the, the necessary degree of maturity to be able to do it. Because if you think about it, and this is probably where I, I'm a bit more radical, but at least with, say, mindfulness practices, so in Zen or Tibetan Buddhism or various other things, as long as there's no explicit cultural references to the practice, which, for example, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, there are there's deity worship and deity yoga and various other things of that nature. And that's the case in Hinduism and Vedanta, you know, generally. As, as long as it's not explicit, the, the core of the practice itself is not a verbal or concept-based thing. I feel that you should be able to rip away all that stuff and, and the process is still there regardless of how you dress it up with verbiage or, or whatever else. Um, so my view these days is that pretty much all of the material I've come across. So, so whether that's, um, okay, let me, let me be careful with this. A lot of the, the mindfulness type material, absolutely. A lot of the meditation work, like uh, higher Tibetan meditation work with pointing exercises, uh, glimpse exercises, you know, it can be secularized. And I know people fucking hate to hear that. Like they, they and I'm, you know, I'm going to cop all sorts of flack for saying this, but you, you can absolutely doing it, do it. There's absolutely no reason why it needs to be in a tradition to be done. I think the same can be said of yoga. I mean, we've spoken about how someone like Reich appropriated certain yogas from the East or certain ways of breathing, changed them up a little bit, kind of adapted them uh, to what he was doing. There's no reason why these processes in the body that should be mostly objective should be bound by rules or regulations or tradition or religion. And the way that I view tradition in general as someone who has a soft spot for it, for example, like I like the Zen aesthetic. I like the Christian aesthetic. I like the way this stuff looks. You know, I think there's an element of that to it as well. But I, I think that um, 
beyond that, there's there's no feature that that is not of the delusion that you're trying to cut away ultimately in these practices. And therefore, they can be amalgamated uh, in your own conception of things to do your own thing uh, as you see fit or as is required because they all have different different ways of working and they do different things to you. So mindfulness is going to do something different to posture work. Breathing is going to do is emphasize, you know, a little something a little bit different again. And and it's the true value, I think, comes when you you are sufficiently competent in these things. And maybe you can learn these things in a tradition. Um, but when you're sufficiently competent where you can pick and choose what you want to use for a specific purpose. And I think that traditions can be can be a, a crutch. And I think they can get in the way. And what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, so I've interviewed a lot of traditionalist philosophers on my channel because I do have a soft spot for it. Um, you know, I like some of the philosophy, but I do, I do consider religion to be very much like a personal matter. I, I don't really feel like it should be a political platform or anything like that. So, so in a personal sense, like I've got no nothing against following a path. Um, for some people, but one of those philosophers, I think it was Harry, Harry, who I had on the show, he said that uh, tradition is a living, breathing, alive thing. It's not something from the past. It's not something that existed sometime before that you're taking and uh, and doing your own version of. It's it's something that is always present, always exists and is always renewed. And in that sense, I feel like traditions can probably get in your way if you're trying to, to get into that state of being yourself. Like a lot of it, particularly these days for Westerners, I feel like it's LARPing, you know, you're kind of LARPing. <laughs> like particularly, for example, if you're, if you're doing Tibetan Buddhism and you're a dude from California who surfs and you had a, a Protestant upbringing and your entire family's blonde and you go to a Tibetan uh, place, like it looks all sexy and exotic and cool, but what the, what the fuck do you know about Tibetan deities or the cultural relevance of these things or the meanings of the symbols or the language or anything else? And the answer, that, answer to that is you don't know and you never will. Nevertheless, behind all that stuff is something useful. The meditation techniques are useful. Uh, some of them are very sophisticated, and the and the ones that are good can be separated from that tradition. Absolutely. So I'm ranting a bit there, but those are my general thoughts. I don't think that any of this work needs to be bound by a conception of tradition or what we thought was the case uh, hundreds of years ago, which probably wasn't the case anyway. And we don't understand the language or the nomenclature or the context or anything like that. But maybe practicing for a little while in a tradition, you get the knack for what the practice is. You start to understand it on a non-verbal level, on a non-rule-based level, and you can just take it away. Like I have taken tons of things away from all different kinds of things and mixed it in. And so far, um, 
you know, I haven't had demons come up and threaten me to send me to Buddhist hell or Hindu hell or Christian hell. Like so far, it hasn't happened. Um, so yeah, th those are my general thoughts on traditions and practices and separating them. I don't I think, think what you said there. Was, yeah. You brought up an interesting thing about the difference between exoteric and esoteric. Yeah. Because when, when people are thinking of traditions or religions or um, any kind of spiritual path, they tend to think of it as one thing that just it's it's like this one thing and then you take the things out of but actually they grow and develop in their own ways and often it's like uh it's the esoteric practices that came first and then the exoteric stuff and the social stuff was attached later after yeah. <clears throat> uh, often that keeps the esoteric stuff away from the normal people because normal mm. people don't really want this stuff this is like a, a weirdo stuff this is weirdo <laughs> things yeah um so and obviously as the tradition builds and the exoteric but gets stronger they also are playing around and experimenting and coming up with new esoteric practices but there's always the kind of tension between those two sides of of in the traditions um so when you approach one it's already determined by it's already be your your approach is already determined by your personality type whether you're looking for um rigid fixed rules to just follow and not have to think about it or whether you're more like the expressing kind of person and you're <clears throat> trying to add in all these different experiences um whether you're just in you're you're going whether you're joy you're getting involved or interested in that tradition um in order to learn esoteric practices i mean that might be the thing that you're doing or are you going there for the social stuff you know what i mean they're both fine for different people it's not this, but it's not the same thing necessarily most people listening to this are probably interested in the practices first um so like one of the so one of the things people struggle with is do you do the they often especially in the west even just ignores the local practices or the the tradition they're from and look for something more exotic uh for you know for different reasons um so and then and then uh, one thing people who do that and they'll jump around the world and try all these different things and they eventually return back to their native tradition and realize mm. there's esoteric practices within it within it also that's quite common you hear that from people um as far as the um you said about the whether you can put, extract the practice if there's nothing explicit about that culture uh, in in the practice it's uh, it's true for a lot of stuff but you still have to transform it into your own way of understanding because mm. even if you get rid of all like names of gods and all that kind of stuff the basic concepts those practices are built on top of or around are a lot of times unique to that culture so the practice is a kind of there's a conceptual framework or way of understanding the world in that culture and then the practices are are they're they're kind of a way of, of enacting or expressing that understanding that way of viewing the world that world feeling is the spengler we call it mm. um so the so like you know the tai chi practices you're 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 not just doing these movements you're actually enacting an understanding of of you know energy and how the world works and how things are connected that's that's part of that that's um, part of that way of viewing the world so you can pluck out the practice and do it but you you I don't know if it's possible to get everything that they're getting. Mm. So it's like you, it's LARPing to pretend that you're going to get it the same way because you've grown up in a different place. You've, uh, you know, different climate, different genetics, different upbringing, all these things. 
Um, so you you can pluck it and use it, pluck it out and use it, but you won't get everything. But that's okay if you know that that's what's happening. So then you can go. You have to transform it and make it become part of your your own understanding, which is a lot something you see a lot of people doing. Though, you know, the mindfulness version you'll get in the East is a bit different from the typical mindfulness you'll find in like you know a corporate training seminar. You know, it's not going to be the same things or like even the um, you know the high tech Silicon Valley bro investigators of Vipassana and all that kind of stuff. So they're they're already transforming it, and making it a bit different. So um, even if they don't think they are, as far as like whether the practice works as well or not, I think that's just something people have to experiment with. Because mm. a lot of the different traditions will have a similar practice. They're they're the same idea. They not the same idea. The same. They're basically the same kind of practice, but they're like going at it from different angles and stuff. And different people will click differently for different people and and most people who've been doing things for a while will have some weird synthesis of practices even within a tradition they'll like even if they're within one tradition they're doing this practice and this other practice and combining them and emphasizing different things in different ways and somebody else who's also in that tradition it really isn't one thing like that um and often they'll some of the best new stuff comes by people just mixing two separate things. They just find that one thing works a little bit, another thing works, and they just plug them together. And then like a, a new practice will be born, which could be a new tradition over time hmm. or whatever. So which, uh, which is, it is alive like that. Yeah. We're a sort yeah. of this mad, cutting edge, messy uh, time where everything's just been mixed in together and stuff. But I wouldn't be surprised if a few things emerge that become the next settled tradition that, you know, a few hundred years, that's, that's something that started around now, hmm. but it just seems so messy and everyone's just picking random stuff just now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I agree. Um, the other important thing to do is, is what, what I notice a lot of, a lot of people, including myself for many years, is that I don't think I ever defined what I was trying to do. So I think this is one element of traditions that can help because all traditions have an endpoint. like uh, in Buddhism, it's enlightenment. Hinduism, uh, what is it in Christianity? I guess, well, going to heaven, but for a monk or something, it's finding grace. Is that what they call it? Grace? Anyway, whatever they call it. It'll depend um, which, it depends which tradition within Christianity. Yeah. I mean, Christianity is like, as far as I'm concerned, it's a separate religion. It's yeah. multiple religions. It's not even one religion. No. But no I yeah. mean, that's already controversial for people, but yeah. it's just like, you know, I'm, I, I'm from the far north of Scotland <laughs> and the yeah. churches I've been to there, are nothing like the churches that you get here in Cyprus, sure. the Orthodox style. Yeah. They're just completely different, even if it's based on the same scriptures. Uh, you know, religion is more than just the scripture, hmm. uh, which is what we're talking about. They yeah. have very different practice, esoteric practices, actually. Yeah, uh, sure. So both as well. They're like both the exoteric and esoteric are very different. Um, they just appear to be the same a continuation same thing anyway so, so, i was just going to say so the orthodoxy is quite mystical i don't know much about it but it's it's more mysticism based it doesn't make as much uh legalistic effort as western christianity seems to uh, from the little i understand it's just what i've heard i'm not one of these orthodox yeah, bros that converts every three in, years yeah. in it and, and mystical not just the practices but also a mystical mystical concepts like yeah. a way of understanding that's much more central obviously in the in northern Europe, you know, the, there's like all the Catholic, there's the Catholic monks, uh, different groups, 
yeah. uh, that are doing mystical stuff and uh, and Protestant mysticism is a bit different, you know. It's more um, working. It's like secret <laughs> societies and um, yeah. occultism and stuff is really Protestant mysticism. Yeah, okay. Uh, even though, even if they're been, even if they appear anti-Christian, I mean, they're like a lot of those things that people think of as occultism and they think they're opposites. Actually, they're just esoteric Protestantism in a way. Mm. Uh, this this is going to annoy people, <laughs> but the. The Catholic esoteric stuff, obviously, it's more obvious. You know, it's like the monks and the, the, yeah. the, the, the it's it's more easy to see. Um, there's monastery. You know, I was in visited a monastery the other day when I was in when I was in Greece. Monasteries everywhere here. It's like 
part of the culture almost in a way that they're not they're like they are really are weirdos in in the uk now out out separate uh here it's more kind of just norm normalized in a different way um so yeah so if you're like interested in these step practices which one you go to will make a difference um i i just i tried at different times to try and commit to a different tradition and things like this but it just never worked for me Mm. Uh, because I was interested in the practices. Like you, I wasn't like, I didn't really know why I was doing it or what I was wanting. Yeah. You just have this kind of need. You're just like a seeker. You don't know what you're seeking, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you kind of pick up an intuition of what's working and what's not if you're not an idiot over time, but you can waste so much time. Um, you try to, the tradition will restrict you if you're, you know, you're trying to rigidly fix everything into to make sense of the, the kind of maps they've given you yeah. and if it doesn't really make you kind of limit what ha- happening or you, you, you stunt the growth that is already happening organically and you, you, you stunt it because you're trying to rigidly fix it into this, uh, um, step-by-step map that you, that you would expect in intellectually to happen. Mm. You know, we're getting into, you know, this aligns with the McGillchrist book that we're talking sure. about last week. Sure. Yeah. Left and right hemisphere. Every, everything does. And, uh, right. So there's all, yeah. That's another thing about the practices and which techniques and stuff is if you're more of a right brain kind of person or left brain kind of person, you're going to be attracted to different things. And the one that you're more suited to, will you'll enjoy it more probably, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the one you should do mm. to, to, you know, like if it's an awakening or whatever, it might not be the one that might, you're just going around in circles because you're just enjoying yourself, but actually you need to do something that's gets you out of your comfort zone. You don't really like, and you, do a lot of practices you're disliking actually until you reach until something happens yeah um it's really it's not it's not so simple i mean and you might just grow up somewhere where you have no choice you just have to do the local one you're, you're not allowed to just pick and mix like we kind of do in the west mm. um it's not as easy in some places and it, and it wasn't as easy in the west at other times uh but there's always like the weirdos doing the weird things and Everyone, as far as I can see, has their own version of everything. I don't think anyone is doing any strictly traditional practice anywhere. No. It's always slightly adapted to the, the current time and to, the, to that person. Yeah, but, you know, if, if you really ask questions, there'll be slight emphasis. Even if you have to get tiny, tiny, it'll be like, it'll be a really, ti- really small difference. And that's like their whole practice is based around the small difference that the guy next to them isn't doing, even though it looks from an outsider's point of view, they're doing the same practice. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you track changes even in say Buddhism, which I know about, speaking to several historians of Buddhism, it you know it changed just hugely. Like it went from Scythians. Um, I spoke to this guy called Christopher Beckwith about his book Greek Buddha, um, and then you know the uh, this Pyrrho. You know Pyrrho was a Greek philosopher. He Went went to that area where the Buddha was a couple of hundred years after he died with with Alexander the Great as a part of his retinue, and then he took probably what was some form of proto Buddhism back to Greece and started off a whole lineage of um, skeptical thought. So I don't yeah I I'm skeptical of skeptical of the idea of you know tradition tradition as if there's this unbroken line although you know there are unbroken lines of initiation or at least probably there are but nevertheless wherever as you say wherever it goes it changes it changes rapidly and say for example 
in Central Asia, um, at the Buddhist monasteries, uh, Muslims went in there to get educated. And there are a lot of similarities between esoteric Islam or, or the, the higher levels of Islamic philosophy anyway, and Buddhist philosophy. There's a ton, like you can't, for example, you can't uh, draw Allah or you can't visually represent him. Well, it's because they went and got educated by Buddhists and you couldn't do that with a Buddha either, technically. He, and, he was and just- also in Sufism, there's a, there's a, it's also intermingled with um, Neoplatonist kind of yeah. practices and yeah, ideas yeah. and stuff as well. I mean, like ev every tradition is, if you look at it, it's like a synthesis of other older traditions kind of mm. mixed together and can, it kind of congealed enough into one thing for that place and time and then it remained and um the life in them is usually early on and the energy and the changing and then they become more rigid later and then the more rigid bureaucratic type of personality type is attracted to the structure they want to go to the structure the social structure and then start being in charge of the social structure so they make it even more rigid and bureaucratic mm. and rule bound so it's, that's not the esoteric type of person at all no they're not interested in that they just want to either be left alone to practice or they want the good stuff as mm. quick as possible without having to go through the years of initiations or whatever yeah uh so there's always that there's always that tension and we, the good thing about now in the west is you can actually get access to the kind of hardcore practices quite quickly now um yeah. but yeah. the downside of that is it's coming with a conceptual framework that you you may not fully understand or you may it may conflict with other ones of you of of your your existing conceptual framework and cause some kind of um you know side effects from that you know if you do one thing too heavily you can people can go weird if they're just in one practice and so on too much mm. sometimes yeah uh, even if they're getting benefit even if they're getting success in that practice and then that's where the tradition would have been useful because it would have been that would have been balanced. There'll be other practices that you might not be as interested in that you're forced to do at the same time, or not at the same time, but along, you know, um, on in your weekly schedule as well. You have to do these other ones, which would balance that out. Uh, that you would only do because you're in the tradition; they're making you do it. Hmm. So there's we're losing that by the pick and mix. True. I um, yeah yeah I yeah. agree. I'm just going to say, just just going back to the defining terms uh, element, because it is kind of what you're saying, right? So it's this idea that, you know, these religions tend to have these final endpoints, uh, enlightenment, what is it, Moshka, uh, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of people jump into this stuff, I think mainly because in, in the West, we lack really any inherent spirituality. A lot of people are in pain, so they tend to jump on these things as ways out of that. But I think that not a lot of people really consider the the end point of what they're doing. Like, what are you here to do? Like, do you, do you fully comprehend what the religion is saying to you, or what what the process is saying to you, and where you're going to end up? Um, a lot of a lot of uh, times, particularly with the Eastern religion, I think that those ultimate goals are i wouldn't i wouldn't quite say antithetical but but they're not the same goals as the average westerner can accept in my opinion um so i think you were saying last week the idea of like the fully enlightened dude sitting in sitting on the side of a road like in a pair of underpants you know in a, in a shiva pose <laughs> with a, a bunch of skulls um around his neck i honestly don't think 
that's where most Westerners want to go. They probably want to live a decent life most of the time. They probably want to achieve things in life. Uh, they probably want some degree of pursuit of material. Um, and I actually think that all these things, even though they're often shunned for higher initiates in Eastern religions, I still think that their they're Western end, end goals have valid, valuable cultural goals. And, and very often uh, these religions value slightly different things. So, so hear me out. Um, the, the practices themselves, even though they're confined to a tradition, they nevertheless have impacts on the brain and the nervous system, the way we breathe. Um, I've been doing experiments you know, for a while now, uh, measuring how different forms of meditation affect brain waves, how different forms of body work that could be considered pseudo-Hindu um, affect my mentality, my brain state, um, the way that my blood flows around my body. All these kinds of materialist uh, metrics, in including the way that my mentality is. So I, I keep a diary. So after a practice or doing a practice for a while, I'll write down progressively how I think it's affecting me, what, what I think is occurring and what kind of impact it's, it's having. And I guess what I'm getting at is that uh, a lot of these practices, when taken out of the shell of their tradition or root culture, and not, not in their entirety necessarily, uh, can be quite um, uh, valuable for a Western person if they define what they're trying to get out of them. So for example, instead of doing mindfulness as a compulsion because you're in pain, maybe you can go out and say, well, I, I have a desire to understand what I am more. And that is why I'm going to pursue this, this line of mindfulness. Um, as you say, like the corporate mindfulness, it's a little bit lame, but you know, I'm not against it either. Cause it probably does have a, um, you know, like a calming effect on people. I've spoken to a lot of people that it has a calming effect on. So, so for a Westerner, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with picking and choosing as long as you do it intelligently and you consider what your purpose is and define why you're doing the thing. And I feel like if you go through that process intelligently, you define, well, I want to do yoga because... I feel very anxious and I'm very tight and I need to loosen up a bit. Uh, my muscles are very tense, whatever. Then, then at least you know why you're doing something. And I think that's, that's really critical when you're taking something from a culture in which that practice exists for a different specified endpoint. And I think a lot of people get in trouble when they don't consider that. And that it often doesn't get considered um, very deeply. Uh, so that, that those are my thoughts. So, so for example, for me, what I found is after doing mindfulness in a Zen context for a long time, when I finally got it, I realized that there are utilities to the mind state that Zen meditation induces that are just widely applicable to everything. Uh, it doesn't need to be within a Zen tradition. It, it's literally in everyday life that these uh, mind states are useful for people in, in a myriad of ways that I won't go into. Same thing with breathing. Uh, Hara, breathing 
uh, or abdominal breathing or tandem breathing in the Zen tradition, again, was originally a Buddhist way of breathing. They would sit in lotus and they would breathe that way. It, it was an esoteric practice and there's Japanese texts that refer to it as an esoteric practice. But after some time, it, it went, went all throughout the Japanese culture, um, you know, for many, many hundreds of years and in many ways defined the Japanese culture's posturing to life. There's absolutely no reason why we can't take these things with a Western mind measuring what they do to the body, measuring the psychological impact that they have on the body, and really just taking them and implementing them as, as we see fit, as, as that fits into our defined goal um, as, as practitioners, and ultimately maybe a culture one day. Because these, these practices like mindfulness and all these different things, they, they have non non-religious impacts as well. So we're starting to study the brain, how these things work on the brain. There's lots of feedback on, on what people experience and how it makes their lives easier from day to day. You know, all these, all these uh, practices are not bound to a language. They're not bound to a culture necessarily. And they can be very useful just so long as you define and understand why you're doing something and why you're using it. And increasingly, there's research on this stuff. Like if you go online, you can type in, you know, posture, integrity, and mindfulness and anxiety response. You know, there's, I was reading something today on that. I was reading something on abdominal breathing um, and having a stooped head that's forward and the impact that has on the diaphragmatic process. And then in turn, the impact that has on on everyday behavior. So, so people are looking at this. Um, and in a way, you can utilize many of these practices and transplant them to fix those very things. And in that way, they become a kind of new technology in and of themselves, adapted for a Western mentality and a Western end goal, which is not, not an Eastern end goal. We, we just don't culturally have the same goals as people in the east do like this enlightenment thing yeah i just don't think i've, I've never really met of anyone i believed who stated that as their own goal maybe a few people it's, but it's, a, it's difference of world different yeah it's a different yeah. worldview so it's you know it's like or like in india it's more like life is a dream so the goal is to escape the dream yeah yeah. In the West, you know, it's not that. It's like, you know, it's more practical and physical and, you know, expansion outward and stuff like that. So it's it's like people want to do things, you know. It's um, mm. it's not like right, wrong, good, bad. It's just different. Yeah. Um, Like I've been saying pick and mix about picking different things, you know, like kind of it's kind of derogatory. No, not really, but kind of sounds like that way. But I don't mean it like that. I just mean there's a nicer term for it. I've heard some people talking about there's some groups online that are kind of trying to um, re-establish or, or uh, redevelop things like you know, like um, platonic dialogue and and stuff like that. You Paganism know, like um, practices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So paganism. You know I mean? So like they're yeah. they're calling it an ecology of practices. So you need to like different practices do different things. You need a movement practice. You need a sort of you know intellectual kind of conceptual philosophical practice. You need you know ones that are more social, we engage with other people, and you know various other things. Yeah. 
Uh, so there's something to be had for that. So ecology of practices is a bit a sexier name to call it, maybe. It's a good way to put it. Um, you know, like um, so like when you if that's they would maybe they're I'm assuming calling it that because it's they're th- with the, obviously thinking about the same things we are. Um, from some people I've seen involved with that, it seems like a, too much on the pick and mix side, and it's just on whims of feeling. So I feel like I like this one, I'll just do that one, or they're they just like the aesthetics of something, so they go to that one. Um, but over time, you kind of figure out what works. Um, you tend to drop off the ones that are useless if you're not an idiot. Uh, you tend to find your own mix over time. Um, as far as like movement practices, uh, I wrote a thing a while ago about the Western, like I called it the Western ideas, like spiritual raiding. You know, like the Vikings just mm. jumped in the boats and raided around and grabbed all the stuff, physical like stuff from other people. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, including some <laughs> grabbing yeah. some of the people too. Right. There, there was always about going and getting this raiding the stuff and taking it back. Uh, whereas the uh, the Western spiritual raiding is, you know, we just run around the world now and, and grab the practices we want, take them back, and now we're going to do this one and do the next one. So a lot of people are kind of in that kind of world. It's kind of that mentality. They don't realize they're doing it. A lot of those people would be horrified if they thought that they're being the, the bad guys. That they, they would see those people as the bad guys, the Westerners rampaging around the world as the bad guys. and But that's what they're doing, just because they're picking a mix in, just because it's from like a another culture doesn't mean that you're not doing the same thing as the the guys who just went around and looking for spices or whatever you know it's the same thing not meg so um so anyway so my my view on that though it's more complex than simply that it's just simply going around raiding because the there is a kind of the western there is a western way and the, the experimental kind of scientific experimental mindset uh that's part of the culture we don't realize you know like we don't realize it's here really um, it finds things and then absorbs them and reintegrates them and appropriates them in its own way and stuff, which is, uh, which is, I think what's the process. I think that's what's happening on a large scale at the moment. And it just seems messy and I'm calling it pick and mix and grab bag of, of techniques and stuff, but really it's, it just has, it's the, it's just because everything's so interconnected at the moment. Um, at some point soon, probably it won't be as interconnected and things might become more things might start congealing into more strict thing uh, ways that appear more like a tradition and most people are doing it this way rather than it seem rather than it being so random and everyone doing five different things than everybody else hmm. what do you think of this so maybe a tradition or following a tradition for a little while is useful maybe in the same sense as going to college or trade college or whatever you do is useful so it's kind of like a way of feeling your way out um, kind of like discovering certain things about what a tradition is and from there you can go and kind of use that however you see fit maybe it's, it's good in that respect it, gets you, it makes you trapped yeah. it's like in college you learn stuff because you're trapped yeah. like you're at the thing and you have to do things you're given time scales you're given you know, there's like things that are expected of you that you don't want to do that you're forced to do hmm. if you want to stay at it, you know, like you. So the, the tradition's useful for that because something might be good for you and the master knows this, but you don't want to do it because part of the reason it's good for you is part of the reason it would be good for you is is the reason that you need it. And you that's you deciding 
you're the problem. So mm. you're you're only <laughs> picking the things you like. You're mm. not going to pick the thing you need. You know, it's yeah. like basic stuff. But we forget this when it comes to spiritual things because you're like, oh, I have this, I have this sensation, I have this um, feeling that this is meant for me. This is my path, and yeah. all this really, uh, you know that you know the kind of stuff. Yeah. And then um, that the people just lose their minds and don't don't think um, rationally where they should. They're so desperate looking for the uh, the non-rational um, and mystical things that they just skip thinking normally about it. It's not even like any kind of hard intellectual study it's just like being common sense almost where you 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 chew you realize you speak to someone who knows more than you they tell you you have a deficiency or you should work on this thing and then you do it but you don't like doing it that it's hard to do so you wanted to you go oh but i want a different ecology of practices they'll try this one now you know mm. so that a lot of the people jump around from thing to thing from modality to modality treatment to you know whatever and um just go around in, in circles and don't, don't get anywhere. Yeah. But to be fair, you probably have to do that at some point in your life to realize that that's a problem. Cause I mean, yeah. I did that. Yeah, me too. So like, yeah. I, I know, you know, it's not like a, you know, just describing what I did. You're all idiots. Everything I'm talking about here is just <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it ties in with this thing that, you know, the other problem in the West is, is this spiritual materialism, which, which again is like a real danger particularly with the exotic religions falling into this trap of exoticism um you can really end up looking like a cockhead if you go too far down that path i think um so, so yeah just just adopting adopting all the the habits all the terms uh, adopting the poise the books the vocabulary but but also missing missing the essential point of what that tradition is trying to trying to teach you. I I see a lot of it uh, with with Buddhism as well. That's kind of the point that I'm talking from. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's a challenging path anyway. Uh, but you know, people as as you say, people tend to latch onto the things that they're good at or that they're compelled uh, to become attached to. It could well, be... One thing they're compelled to is, especially if you're a younger guy and you might not notice, it's very hard to know whether you're interested in that practice and that tradition or, or learning this thing because of the thing or because you think this is either directly or indirectly the best way to get girls. <laughs> or, yeah. And also there's there's one, yeah. you know, like exactly there's many people yeah. that go to meditation and yoga and stuff like that. That's why they're going. Yeah. They, you know, like how much they're deluding themselves, how much they really know what they're up to. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's many people teaching those things that are just there to get the girls. Uh, you know, this yeah. is just like, especially in the West. Oh, well, actually, maybe not especially. Maybe it's like that other places. Man, there are also people who go join mystical groups mm. or seek or places yeah. that are because it's it's not it's boys they're looking for, not girls. Yeah. So it's like the social side of it is always going to be there. Yeah. Uh, you know, no one is like pure, rational, esoteric, autist, genius type. No matter how many of them exist on Twitter. Um, <laughs> So you still need to uh, deal with that stuff, and th you'll have those motivations all the time. So you, you but, but for some people, you need those things. You need the interaction. Some people aren't suited to the going to the hat and being solitary for ages doing something. Yeah, that would just yeah. make them insane. Other people, uh, you know, like those people need to be around people, and they need the they need the tradition because that's uh, the social side of it is is part of the process for them other people need to get away from all the social stuff yeah. and be solitary uh it just you know 
like that is a such a just a basic personality thing that it affects everything, even normal stuff. You know, if you went, if you're trying to write, everyone thinks going away to the jungle and being on your own writing or going away to, you know, some random place and being completely on your own is when they'll do all the writing and write their book. That's not true at all for many people. You need to be around people when you're writing. You know, you need to be in a busy cafe or, you know, not too busy, but you know, you. You just can't function when you're on your own too much. I go weird when I'm on my own too much. <laughs> Do you? Uh, after a while. My oh. girlfriend will say to me, you know, like, yeah, I haven't spoken to, like, some days, so you've not really spoken to anyone today yet, have you? And I'm like, no, I'm already <laughs> being weird. Um, but if I'm around people, I can't stand being around them for too long because uh, too yeah. many people are too, Man, tell me too about annoying. It. You know, it's that kind yeah. of conflict. Yeah, me too. So, but that is happening when you're doing all these practices. You know, that these things are playing out. You're not like, even if you're not thinking about them, you'll find yourself going to something because there's a deeper need and you needed the emotional benefit from being there. And it's got nothing to do with all this rationalizations about I'm doing this ecology practices to become awakened and all that. It's not, it's just you, yeah. you like those people and you want to be around them, which is fine. But uh, it's, you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. So, sessions are weird. Like, have you done a silent retreat before? Like a Buddhist meditation retreat? Could be um, any, any of the modalities. That gets weird. The longest just... silent retreat I've done is uh, yeah. clicking mute on my microphone here <laughs> when you speak. <laughs> so so um, um no i haven't yeah. done a silent one no i've done like sessions long ones on my own but i've never gone anywhere where i was expected to be quiet for longer than you know an hour or two i think right
Yeah, let me tell you, the, the social dynamic when you have to remain silent around people in that that state can get pretty fucking strange sometimes. Like you see like a lot of stuff kind of come up. It's it's very hard to describe, but yeah, just walking around, not even looking at someone, not talking to them, but they're all around for like 10 days, sometimes 20 days. Like it, for the the first couple of days, everything intensifies and you can just tell everyone's a little bit weird and like kind of like they're going through their own shit and like it, it gets kind of a bit... I don't know, a bit intense, a bit weird. Uh, but but towards the end, usually everything tends to chill out and and all those things go away. But I, I always wondered what that was. Um, you know, and, and you get confused because you're not sure, like, is is this just me projecting on these people? Like how much of this is me and how much of this is really going on? Which is all part of the the experience, I'm guessing. Um Particularly, you don't really and know it could, anyone. It could be um, going on all the time. It's just you're normally thinking of not aware to say, of it. So you totally, don't it. could be that as well. Um, but I think you know it's an interesting element, and and that brings me to this point that um, I really believe in the Israel Regardi thing, like how he recommended to people before they went into occultism. I think was his thing, or uh, you know whatever that they did, like some degree of insight practice or psychoanalysis or of course he was a reikian therapist so he he attacked it from that angle and he said that before people go into a religious path that they should probably spend more time understanding themselves first um, because when you go into the religious path particularly an esoteric religious path um, it can in, it really intensify all your character flaws all the problems you've got, all the things that you're trying to escape, which are going to affect how effective you are at the path itself. So he actually recommended like, this could be very difficult these days because such people are almost impossible to come across. You'll probably come out of the place transgender or something more likely these days. But I always thought that it was a really compelling idea. And, and I remember talking to uh, Cal about something similar and he said that when a lot of people go into and do this kind of self-work or psychoanalysis you know quote unquote psychoanalysis which is not really what it is but some form of insight practice that uh what occurs is they realize that they don't really want the religion anymore they don't feel compelled to go and do the thing that they thought they wanted to do before so i often wonder um you know, how much is an esoteric path or a religious path even required, particularly if you're not brought up in a religious path and you're just trying them on like jackets, how much of that is driven by, you know, a severe dissatisfaction with yourself that you don't understand, you're not aware of, uh, you've never done any work to uncover why you feel that way. Maybe it's because you were bullied in the schoolyard and you never faced it and you haven't done much with yourself since, you know, there's probably better things you could be doing, like going to the gym or learning some other skill. Um, how much of people pursuing religious paths is driven by psychological malaise that they're unwilling to face? And then once they're on the religious path, how much of that comes up and renders the religious path basically worthless? 
and uh, you know i think that's that is a real problem going back to like meditators and girls and all that sort of stuff there are a number of sex scandals as i'm sure you're aware of like tibetan lamas and indian yogis like not just sleeping with women in their in their sangha but like actually sexually assaulting them and all sorts of stuff going on right um so there's this whole element of esoteric practices and this kind of ties into the whole thing that we're saying is going on a path is one thing but the practices in the path also don't necessarily give you the entirety of the character change that you necessarily desire or want whereas really quite pedestrian things could give those things to you and then you may find that you don't even really care about uh, pursuing religion in that way anymore but also that many of these esoteric paths and practices in and of themselves i i tend to think they may be somewhat incomplete or they don't do things to the character as, as effectively as say working on your posture would so for example is a famous uh, sam harris who i believe is quite a good mindfulness practitioner i i think there's evidence in the stuff that i've read by him that he's fairly learned and he has a pretty good idea he's secular which is why most people in our circles hate him because oh, besides the political elements obviously but you can look at some of the stuff he says which is really i would have to describe as somewhat delusional um and it really made me think like okay well if this is a result of mindfulness, if this guy's lost the plot to this degree and is really getting attached to all sorts of, you know, political outcomes and abstract political outcomes that may or may not exist in the real world and he's willing to sacrifice children just to get Joe Biden elected. I mean, all sorts of like pretty nasty fucking stuff that he said. Like how useful is mindfulness? Is mindfulness the only thing you should do? Mindfulness may make you feel better about things, but but what is it missing in, in the process of understanding your character? And this is kind of the the perspective that I come from when when I pick and mix, as you say, is that I feel like all these different things are incomplete in and of themselves, pretty much. Because there's too many examples of people acting like fools when they're very advanced um uh well well they've achieved a lot of things in mindfulness but they still still act in terrible ways so what is it in that practice that's lacking same thing with yoga same thing with yogis same thing with christians obviously we don't need to go there people still behave like monkeys having achieved great things in these paths so what I'm thinking is, in and of themselves, all these different paths must be delinquent in some way or incomplete in some way. And that maybe as Westerners, our great aim is to bring all these different things together and to optimize them and to also, you know, do like a bit of a Reikian thing or a psychoanalytic thing when we really try to understand the nuts and bolts of character of why we behave the way that we do. 
And yeah, just going back to my original point, I feel like in the old days, it would have been psychotherapy when you had like a good psychotherapist that would slap you across the face and really show yourself to yourself. But that being difficult to find, some sort of process where you can go through it and get rid of all those little, like neurotic hangups and other things that that may be driving you towards towards these practices and and these aims and as i said you could be a, a, a like have the most amazing achievements as a tibetan lama like i forget I forget his name it's you know something rinpoche but he was infamous for sleeping with his students and like he was like some really highly ranked monk that had done like a ton of work. You know, it's probably one of those, I think he like lived in a one of those little caves for like five years or whatever the crazy shit they do. And he's there acting inappropriate with women in his sangha. And he's meant to be like a semi-enlightened being, right? Like there's a, Zen, there's a Zen, I think it's Zen, but there's some kind of Buddhist monk. I heard a story about had a retreat, had like was living somewhere in Scotland years ago. Yeah. And he was like an alcoholic and a cokehead and stuff, <laughs> as well as still teaching people. Yeah, I mean that might just be what happens when you when you live in in Scotland. You know? <laughs> but uh, he, but he, it was like it was ridiculous, you know. And then he got like caught up about it later. But so, uh, yeah, I think you, like you see what I'm getting at, though. You see what I'm getting at, yeah, like yeah. don't mean don't make you a good person necessarily. No. They just no no see you you see things more clearly and you make less of the mistakes that you made before which makes you a better person just in a in certain ways just out of a, in a practical matter of fact way not in a trying to be good way mm. um you know because a lot of the bad things people do are just like malfunctions uh, but it doesn't it's not going to make someone have be suddenly be ethical because you're just going to be you're like um you're just going to be the same, like there's like so. If you take Sam Harris, I mean, I I, I haven't read his uh, meditation type stuff, but his his understanding of the world is is all based around the top part of the brain, basically. It is very so, yeah, you know even for somebody who'd be very pro evolution and and science and those things when he talks about them, but actually yeah. when it comes down to it, he doesn't like he's just been spun around like every other animal by the animal things, and he's been deluding himself and all those things. Um, but you can get very clear using certain practices in certain parts of your mind and, and, uh, body and, uh, feelings, but it doesn't mean you've done everywhere else. But if you're living in those areas that have just been cleaned up, you're now blindsided by some weird emotional problem that you've never dealt with. Mm. And you I mean, not get, some people just get into all the practices because they actually are, it's therapy they're looking for. But that's so what I mean, yeah. Practices so, to, to therapize themselves. So, so I actually think already a danger because if yeah. you're in need of the therapy and now you're in charge of the therapy, you're you're most likely to go to go wrong with that. If you're, that's what the point of having someone else who knows more about something than you is. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the case more often than not in the West. The people that I've come across, they they seem to be more in need of like some kind of. You know, and I, I hesitate to use the word therapy because we all know what that's about nowadays. But at least, you know, in the 70s when Rigardi was talking about it, like you had, you know, people that were a bit more hard about it and a bit harsher, you know, in that traditional psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic sense. But I guess, you know, given the fact that there aren't really people like that around anymore, you know, I've often thought, like, what's the best way to approach it? Because I, I do think everyone should 
go through that. Um, and I do think they should. For some people, it's becoming a Christian monk. You know, like yeah. a lot of monks are dealing with their like their thing is is their their path actually. What they're doing on a daily basis is they're working to self overcome, uh, like emotional things and stuff and things mm. temptation. You know, it's all clothed in religious language. But if you think about it, they're just you know like overcoming temptations and the devils and the demons are coming from them. But really, you can just they're trying to um, not be ruled by this emo- these emotional things that want to be in charge of them, which is. If, in which involves having to re, having to um, have a different concept. You eventually have to have a different concept of yourself in mm. order to overcome these things because you're identified with those things. Yeah. So there's just like different paths for different people. I mean, it, a hyper intellectual type might need all the systems. The very emotional type might need to just you know lock himself in a cell and whip his back with a rope. You know, yeah. each to his own. But do, um, do you think, though, I mean, other people, you know, just on that, do you think that that's the most effective way of doing it? Because I, I really don't. I think that probably it's it's going to be more likely that you'll just be the same person. You'll just be delusional your entire life. And there's probably much more uh, effective ways of dealing with stuff like that um, that are not no, I'm religious not, I'm or not esoteric. It, and it's, yeah. not what I've, it's not what I've done. But I mean, yeah. the... Uh, there are, I'm sure there, there's like everywhere else in those places. There's people who are awakened, fully awakened in the in the the, the Buddhist kind of sense. That it's in a different context, so they don't talk about it like that. And there's just as many people who are just wasting their time, hmm. or there for <laughs> social reasons. I don't just mean to be around the people that are there, but also to be away from the other people. Yeah, and a lot of people join monastery stuff to escape other things, you know, and they were on the run or whatever. Um, <laughs> So yeah. like it's there's many reasons, but that doesn't stop you from them becoming mystical and 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 learning things later. I mean, some uh, some of the biggest mystics were like warrior guys first. Uh, you know, like it's not um it's not like you it's not like you can't work with whatever your goes on in your life. Hmm. Um, and for Westerners, yeah, I mean, there's you don't, I don't think you need. There's definitely a certain type of person who doesn't need to all the stuff. He doesn't need to pretend that he's a Buddhist and all that stuff, or like he doesn't need to pretend that he's found Christianity again and stuff like that. They can just use the practices and they'll they'll uh, get progress with it. And um, some of them maybe it's just like they don't even care at all about any of the stuff. They're just because they're doing something. You know, it's like much more practical, um, goal oriented way of living. So it's not really noticeable because they don't want to just sit in their underwear at the side of the road. <laughs> uh, yeah. The yeah. No, no Westerner really does. Like doing yeah. anyway. You know, yeah. they might be just being an inventor. A guy's an inventor. We just see a guy, oh, he's very materialistic. He's trying to make these machines. A guy could be completely awakened and he's just like, that's his thing. You know, it's like he's, that's, he's just expressing what all of the levels of himself, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, that's the right thing for him to do. We don't, we don't know. Um, uh, you know, and it's like it's self-selecting. The people get interested in the stuff are already either, you know, either a weirdo or they're doing it for some emotional trauma, traumatic need that they have to get involved in this or they have to feel superior because they do this cool thing. Or um, it's just, uh, it's, compli- it's complicated. So so my my theory and this ties in again, I think I've kind of mentioned this, but it ties in with this picking and choosing uh, element of the Westerner that we're talking about. 
But, but my theory is that many of these esoteric practices in these traditions are kind of like a psychological technology. Um, this is the way I'm framing it, particularly like in my own work. And a lot of, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them when they're used in such a way can be very effective in untying knots in people, like untying these psychological hangups and psychological knots. Uh, for example, uh, I always, well, I went through with, with Calvin and then I really insist with people that I, you know, do a little bit of work with that the, the no self process is a, a Buddhist process, but it's actually in a way, it's a very sophisticated technology that allows people to just pretty much all at once let go of all their hangups if they go through the process properly. Because the realization of there being no inherent self is, is not just a Buddhist realization. It's not something you go through Buddhism and then the Buddhism creates a Buddhist no self experience. It is literally an exercise. It's just there to point out the reality of the fact that there is no fixed contraction that is a self but the implications of that realization uh, is a freeing up of energy and over time the undoing of certain knots neurotic tendencies hang-ups which in a way could also be considered therapeutic or pseudo therapeutic because it frees up energy for that person then to go and do things that they would never have been capable of doing before uh, yes, like, therapeutic side effects. Yeah, you know, it's like because you said you're you change get rid of all the hang-ups at once. So, like a person listening who's in who's like in the therapy mindset would think that's impossible. How can you deal with all these emotions yeah. all at one time? But because you're not dealing with the emotions, what you're doing is you're changing their Context. the underlying way of being, yeah. the underlying relationship, yeah. understanding of the relationship between subject object, those things. Yeah. So all a lot of those things just unravel or. Uh, fade away once you change the underlying way you were uh, um, approaching them. You know, like you're like yeah. if you're just attached, getting attached to everything, so you can suddenly lose a lot of your issues at one at one go because yeah. it wasn't therapy you were doing. But you've had all these therapeutic side effects. Yeah, and it, it is also the case that I think that not all uh, esoteric technologies, if you want to call them that, that I've practiced, and I've practiced quite a few at this point they don't all have the same effect. So some things are more sophisticated than others. And yeah. some things definitely have a more tangible, noticeable impact on people. There's not necessarily a religious impact. Um, and again, I always go back to the breathing thing, the Hara breathing. That is technically a Japanese uh, postural breathing technique that Buddhist monks use. But you know, having tested it with my metric gear here, with all sorts of biometrics, I also notice that it it is incredibly uh, effective at completely changing people's physiology, completely changing the way the blood flows through their circulatory system. It has all these other impacts that have downstream impacts on mentality, character, personality, just general day to day experience. But I think there's also other practices that may not be so useful, you know, in a therapeutic set, sense or have a therapeutic, uh, or, or how, how would you say, 
an effective therapeutic edge to them. I think there's ones that, that are less effective. Um, so the way I'm, I'm viewing things personally and, and the work that I'm engaged in um, is trying to put together, I know you're the same, right? Is, is trying to put together how all these, uh, you know, which practices are very effective, which ones are not so effective, which ones are quick and efficient and direct ways to achieve these aims, which, which things are not effective, not particularly direct and don't particularly, they're not efficient, which is a lot of things like that. And, and putting them all together in this kind of general framework of physiological, um, like a general physiological framework of, of self change. And some things are good for that. Some things are less good for that. Um, because I guess what I've done is going back to what I was saying before is I've taken what I seek. So the definition of what I seek, I've taken the time to define what I'm seeking from these things. And therefore, when I go through to pick and choose, which one's effective and which one's not, things become a lot easier. Well, I'm like, well, I, I can sit in, you know, Vipassana, um, noting body sensations for 40 years, or I could just go to a, you know, Tibetan Lama, learn some pointing exercises, see that there's no, there's no self and be done relatively quickly. So which one are you going to choose, right? Like those two technologies are not necessarily the same. They emphasize different things. And one is a, a highly efficient. It's very direct. The other one less so. So for me, in defining what I see as, as the ultimate goal, which is overcoming myself consistently, quickly and efficiently, and helping other people to overcome the things that ail them. Um, you know, this is not medical advice. So, you know, I'm not really seeking to do that. I'm just teaching breathing. But but for that purpose, there's actually quite a narrow subset of things that I would consider to be worthwhile. And they all come from religious paths, but I wouldn't necessarily therefore recommend the religious path itself unless someone was inclined to do so. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's an example of what I mean. Yeah. You're approaching it from your own framework is like a, which I think is the uniquely Western approach to yeah, exactly. is done right. Yeah. Is like uh something we were messaging about on Twitter. You were saying we're talking about the fact that we're using you're using the biofeedback feedback machines, I'm using the video, and we're we're kind of looking at the same events that people are doing for you know, you're doing breathing, I'm doing posture movement. And we're looking at the same events from two different ways. Hmm. We're looking at it from the subjective point of view of what it's like inside the person and what they're thinking and doing, feeling at the time. And then also looking at it from the objective point of view. You know, you're using the, the feedback, you know, there's a person breathing and then you're looking at the results in the machine after. And then you're doing the breathing again. So you're going from the whole lived life, the whole lived experience, right brain, uh, to the left brain where you're analyzing the stats, the, the data and stuff, and then you're going back to the whole lived experience again. Mm. I'm the exact same thing. It's the movements, the uh, postural movements and movement experiments. And then you're analyzing the video, very analytical left brain, and then back to the whole lived experience of of working on your like uh, movements in normal life. Yeah. So the fact that we both use the objective, scientific, experimental um, feedback mechanisms that um, are like the middle part of the process, 
the technologies, like um, literal physical technologies, um, that begins over time to replace, like this is what you said in the message, it's, it replaces the master. So the pupil now becomes, now starts using the tools, Start we start using the tools to, to give you the feedback that in the tradition, the master gives you the feedback. So you go to tradition, you do the practice, some guy who knows more tells you things that you don't know. He's saying that he's he's recognizing patterns and what you're saying and doing, and he can tell you things. So it's that's the object. That's the, where you go for the objective point of view. Then you're back to your own subjective point of view of working on yourself, and then you go to the objective point of view whether you know, you're chatting to the 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 monk, the you know your daily chat or weekly chat, whatever it is. Um, so for us, the Western approach is we're using our technologies, which is the Western. You know, technology is the Western a thing you know it's like the western culture yeah. this high technology so we're using those to gradually book to act as the master i mean this is a dangerous thing to have technology as your master if you're not bringing it back to the whole lived quote right brain experience like we are you know so we're not getting lost in the data and the details that's not the end you're just using that to understand more about the the actual living behaviors after hmm. Um, so the, the this happens slowly because in the beginning you're deluding yourself. The reason we're using the objective tools to measure things is in order to prevent yourself deluding yourself. It's not just it's not simply oh to get more information because that's what it seems like. I get more info and then got more data and then I hmm. can work with the data now. It's more really is to go oh I thought I was doing this thing but this is why is this doing that? You know this is saying that this other thing according to this my heart was doing this thing but it didn't seem like that huh okay so i'm obviously i didn't notice at the time so i you know you you you, you learn more and then over time the, the 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 what you learn that's abstract and analytical with the tool starts kind of filtering into your kind of unconscious or intuitive understanding and the two things begin to align each other mm. to me this is a very like western way of doing it because it's individualistic because you're in charge of yourself which is western's way more individualistic than um, the Eastern, obviously, and you're, it's like technology is the main part, but you're not getting controlled by the technology, which is the big technocratic mistake where they're just the, what we're calling the middle phase. They think can just run it by itself and come up with all the goals and um, decisions and, and aims by itself, which is just absurd. You know, there's a lot of this uh, conceptual mistakes in the AI discussions at the moment. Mm. Oh, um, right. Right. But um, it's again, it's just part of this process. And McGillchrist's book from last week is really useful for this way of thinking about it. You go, it's um, or you know, he's talking about you know, the right hemisphere way of doing things, then to the left, and then back to the right, and then the right hemisphere's understanding will be more enriched and larger than it was before. Without the analytical left part as the middle stage of the process, um, I like to think about in postures. You're going from the whole to the parts, back to the whole. Most of the people working on the posture stuff focus on either just the parts of the whole. You know, you'll go to a doctor or the the medical guys. It's all different parts and how the different mechanisms work. And it's just like it's like they treat you like a car, fix different parts, and then it'll work fine. Um, whereas, uh, and then you get other people who are doing like the embodiment type type of practices where they try to feel the whole all at once and have this higher feelings and stuff, and and they're ignoring the parts really. Hmm. So you have to go from the whole to the parts back to the whole. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just think that's where I think the Western approach to all this stuff is unique. It's this kind of um, 
technical approach, while technical technical approach, experimental approach, um, but not um, don't need to necessarily believe anything. This is the key thing because yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's hard to take on a practice if you have to just believe stuff that you don't actually believe. Because now you're setting up this whole conflict in your mind where you're yeah. pretending to believe these things because you feel you need to in, in order to do that practice, which is what you were saying earlier. You it's lapping. It's lapping. You can't you believe in a Tibetan fucking deity. I mean, I bet the Tibetans don't even believe in it anymore. And you got like some guy from like California walking around invoking, you know, some wrathful deity from from the Himalayas. It just seems crazy to me. I, I don't know how they do it. In the old days, it used to be that was the gods for one group of people in one place. You yeah. Know, other people yeah, had yeah. their own gods. So it's kind of weird. It is weird. To, it's weird. must be weird, like bizarre to them i mean i don't know what they yeah how they feel about a lot of it but the the it's that's just the reverse of the process where all the countries are just taking on all the western high technology and just mm. implanting it into the middle of a culture and weird things are happening and it's like it, it doesn't it doesn't work the same way as it works here because it's yeah. just different you know yeah um i mean one of the one of the most esoteric practices in the west that no one even realizes is was the birth of science experimental mm. method. Yeah. You know, that was like heavily intertwined with like magic and Alchemy religion and, at the time. Yeah. Who was it? Like Alchemy Francis Bacon. Apocalypticism, yeah. you know, like Francis Bacon, you know, he's a, it was like everyone thought that and John D they all thought that John the world D. end of the world was imminent, <laughs> but they were like running to quickly be scientific as scientific, as scientific as possible uh, in the last days and stuff. So like, all and then that developed into we just like science technology now we just take for granted but that's like that's our one it yeah. just it's hidden in plain sight so so speaking of like it's gonna i'm gonna get a bit esoteric now but i i was thinking like well you know part of this work is trying to trying to help people and trying to you know make their lives a bit better i guess but like in terms of a gr great aim I was thinking, well, you know, there's no reason, like, if, okay, if you were to envisage some future, uh, some excellent future, a future of like expansion um, of pos, you know, possibilities, you know, I guess in a not a transhumanist way, but like, um, you know, humanity getting off Earth, doing something better whatever that's going to be like, I don't know, something like June or whatever people have in their minds. Um, it's, it's going to require, I really honestly think it's going to require some sort of technology like this technologies, like what we've been discussing, because one of the things that's holding us back is I, I firmly believe is our physiology and our understanding of our brains. Like we have a real problem in our history of being able to, self-determine as individuals and groups and i think this is what's getting in the way is because we and this may be extremely naive but we just keep getting in the way of ourselves um and we go through these cycles and then we lose everything and you know a lot of it i think is probably avoidable um with a lot of this stuff and i'm not i'm not optimistic on this happening but i, I do like the idea of having like an ultimate vision or an ultimate aim for say something like what we're trying to do. So not just, you know, helping, helping you out with your posture or whatever, but developing 
kind of like a, well, I guess, you know, a school, a school of thought, a school of physiological practice or mindfulness practice combined with a certain kind of intellectual outlook. Personally, I like the Nietzschean outlook. I really appreciate that. I haven't read Spengler yet. I got it here actually waiting uh, to go after McGilchrist. I can't believe I haven't read it yet, but it's quite embarrassing. But I, I like... Just for anyone listening, those are two big books that are good to go together. Yeah. The Ian McGilchrist, yeah, yeah. Master and his Emissary, and uh, Spengler, Decline of the West. They're, they overlap in a big chunk, but there actually is a big difference between them as well, which yeah. we'll maybe talk about another time. Yeah, but, yeah, um, sure. So what do you think about this, this idea of like a like a grand overarching vision or goal to to this work, to this framework that we're trying to put together. Because I, I just don't believe, I, I don't believe reading is going to work. I don't believe necessarily technology is going to work. It's going to require the operator of these things to fundamentally change what it is to be able to entertain the futures that, that are possible or to hold the future on 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 the shoulder of the species is is going to require some fundamental change in the organism or a change of the way that we look at ourselves and i think that the way that that, that happens has to be through methods like this that's my fundamental uh not belief i guess yeah i guess it's a belief and and i'm i'm directing my energies in, in a small way, I'm not saying like <laughs> I'm some prophet or something, but just in my own little small way with my own little con- little contribution, it's it's that vision that's kind of driving me um, in a large, yeah, large way. Yeah, I think what we're doing here is we're, we're kind of fleshing out the conceptual framework, the approach for looking at these things, which yeah. is different from anything really I've, I've heard. I haven't really heard anyone talk about this stuff before. No. Um, like the, this way, you know, they say you should write the book that no, write the book you want to read that no one's no one's written before. Yeah. Uh, this is the podcast I wanted to hear. I've mm. never heard people talk about this stuff for you know years ago, and maybe they are now. But if anyone knows anyone, send send me the stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's like having the approach, and then you, you do need like a, a suite of techniques. You know, you do need the ecology of practices if you're looking at it from this framework because you. Uh, different people have different issues, but also you different times you need a different approach at different times. Um, sometimes you just need to alternate between things. Some t- you definitely need other people though, because the, as much as I was talking about the technology becoming, you're kind of using it as a sort of master. Well, as I'm, I'm making this complicated. I don't mean in the Ian McGillicuddy sense. I just mean using the using the technology to get feedback, so you can slowly become your own master. Um, is uh, that's we you want to do that, but you you're going to delude yourself and make mistakes, and having someone else mm. who knows more about that thing is useful. So when you say like a school, a school, so school of thought and literally school of people learning together um, is essential in some ways because some things you just can't do on your own yet, or you somebody will save you ten years of wasting your time with a comment or. Uh, you know, a quick analysis of something you're doing. Um, and you can definitely just live out the same patterns and habits for years without realizing it for long, way longer than you want to feel comfortable imagining mm, um, sure. that can be removed quickly by somebody, help to remove quickly. 
but at the end of the day, yeah, it has to be you, the person. You have to change your, your. Uh, oh, at the same time, you have to change your mystical and biological understanding and relationship with the world. People tend to focus on one or the other. They tend to be very physical based and, uh, um, what you know, and very materialistic on that and work on that side of things. Or they tend to be just a bit too far uh, out there. You know, they're either stuck on the ground or their head is in the clouds you really mm. need to be you need to have your feet on the ground with your head in the clouds it's <laughs> mm. a good way to put it yeah i think the this this kind of driving goal uh that's that's the way forward i don't see any other way forward I, I, you know i wrote about it actually in the essay the other day um so what what do you see as the goal the driving goal um, well, uh, you know, this, this idea of expansion, um, uh, this, this idea of, um, quality, increasing quality rather than quantity, um, in, in the human species itself, um, you know, without going into too much detail and the ability for for the animal to overcome its cognitive and physiological limitations by uh, arresting control of them by consciously directing them in order to break through those unconscious mechanisms that tend to hold us back as a species and definitely as as individuals and i think that maybe so would you say it's it's becoming conscious, it's, but in a real way. So a, not like the oh, let's all conscious evolution be more conscious. No, yeah, it's like not a, nonsense like that. Really no. is in a real, yeah, real uh, tangible um, materialist way. If you had tools, but also experientially, you you know, and um, we know people. The great thing about traditions and practices, we know people have done this stuff before. Sure, we, you know, you, in different places, you know, they're talking about the same thing from different angles. So you know, it's a real thing that's. Uh, physiologically possible as well as um you know um intellectually or uh, consciously possible and uh you know it's real because it takes work yeah it's not you don't just decide one day to wake up you know like uh you don't just decide one day to totally change your breathing physiology you know you can and, and you don't can't, you can decide and then get to work you can't just decide and it happens no uh you know you can't read about it, so it happens either, yeah yeah yeah, it, you know, I went a bit off the rails there. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, it does it does tie into the discussion because, as I was saying before, you have religions that have a logical endpoint, enlightenment, blah blah blah, whatever it is. So then, what you know, what are we doing as Westerners? What's the point of all this? Like, what what is the the end goal? And I, you know, I, I felt like that that was an important question to wrestle with a little bit on a personal level, because otherwise, why not just uh, what is it? Um, nest, digest, and congest. If there's literally no no end goal or no uh, idea of human potential, what you know? What's the point then? Just go and sit on is the this side what most of the road. We're doing though. We'll always be doing. It. It's going to be a few people drag people, drag <laughs> for sure. Everyone forward, uh, directly or indirectly, or they might not know. It might not happen, probably won't happen when they're alive. Um, you know, it's like uh, the it's just going to. 
I mean, I like the idea. You need to like the difference in the West. Like to go back to that again. I mean, the Western, the Western idea. You know, you're saying about expansion. You know, this is like Spengler's thing. The difference mm. between the West, the West's central idea is infinite space. So it's about expanding in all directions and not being tied down to one thing. Um, whereas the, uh, you know, the classical is different. And the, but the Indian, so obviously the Buddhas from that culture, is about uh, life as their central idea is life as a dream. So that you're escaping the dream is enough. And like you're escaping the dream or versions of that or realizing it's a dream. That's the end goal. It's like built into the culture. Whereas ours, that's, that doesn't really make you satisfied. Okay, cool. I'll wake up and now what? You know, a Westerner <laughs> would say, okay, I'm enlightened now what? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So like we need to be doing something with it, that constant drive to be out. You know, it's like the, it's our ancestors in the for the huge forest, driving through the forest, driving, but you know, going through the forest, everything's just expansive and huge, and um, uh, reaching the sea and just getting in boats and going out to sea and just like now it's the spaceships in space. It's just like just that restless driving, expanding outward motion. Um, so for us, us that has to be in there somewhere, hmm. uh, along with the sort of the more kind of personal spiritual. Uh, evolution yeah <clears throat> you know people have probably accused me of being materialist but you know my idea of material is is a lot different to other people you know that may be a materialist view say compared to as you were saying like the dream like quality of the the buddhist view of reality but you know i don't material is not dead inert matter like richard dawkins would say and it's not the same as someone you know some loony um who's in a spiral dynamics or something would say like i i'm just in the middle i don't i don't really consider that like materialistic that drive like i don't think there's anything wrong with it it gets criticized a lot but i don't think there's anything wrong with technology i don't think there's anything wrong uh with the pursuit of space and i yeah i just um i don't see that there's anything inherently wrong with material either material gets a bad rap you know like um people abuse material you know they, they often level uh i think it was alan watts who, that said that um you know people considered america to be a materialist culture uh but you know they seem to hate material um they've make things cheaply they throw it out they have this whole system of kind of you know throwaway capitalism which really isn't showing material any respect at all um i think there's a real spiritual quality to material which is why you know i don't like it when people diminish so-called material aims uh in such a way because it's not how i view material um no you need we need both and like absolutely um, if there's any kind of way forward for Western people, it has to include both because you just simply won't get, you just won't get enough people through yeah. the door to pay your bills. Yeah. If you make it too much, you know, you'll just get a few, a certain type of person who's escapist types or people in need of therapy, like uh, seriously in need of actual therapy and, and mm. stuff like that, rather mm. than someone who's, uh, you know, I wrote an, an essay about this a while ago, you know, dysfunctional weirdos versus functional weirdos. You want the people who are, functional in the world and they're doing things and they want to do things and they just need like a bit of help or they just want to progress to the next stage for them you know evolve self-evolution mm. you call it that um and it's just a never-ending thing and it's just 
that's what it's like a deep need for lots of people and like the things we're doing are just plug into that need and i think what we're talking about here is trying to make it trying to make our view of this and our goals with it even uh part of a bigger thing because it already is instead of it just being like solutions to problems oh you have this problem this you know they're just like it's uh it's much more than that you know it's much bigger than that but people only turn up and give you the money when they think you're going to solve a specific problem yeah. this is, the, this is yeah. the infinite dilemma yeah it is it is which you know it could partly be due to the fact that no you know no one's really well i guess some people do like you know you have people like tim leary or um, some of those kind of futurist kind of guys um, did define something like that. Um, you know, I think maybe part of the problem is no no one's defined it. So we, in a way, we're kind of just flailing around without any grand aim. So yeah, people are going to come to you and they're going to be like, "Well, I can't, I can't sit up straight, or I can't breathe, or you know, whatever it is." You know, and because maybe we've never really defined those terms for people it's not immediately clear right yeah we know that it is we know framework of concepts that breathing for example is is in a certain category it's like a mechanical function that you just need to get right so you can get on with the rest of your life Mm, (laughs) you mm. know they kind of think of it like it's just what all that part's not working right for me or you know there's these oh i know there's these things you can do and you can make that part a bit better work a bit better whatever yeah or upgrade that part so there's that kind of mentality what is really breathing is like very few things is so essential <laughs> like intimate <laughs> and central yeah and it's uh it will be changed other th- it's like a not only is it affecting a cause that's affecting other things that are going on physically emotionally mentally spiritually but it's also being affected by those things. You know, mm. it's like it's it's in the middle of everything or central to things. Uh, so you like to th- that's the like the bad one of the bad things in the West is that kind of um, it's the problem solving. It's optimization uh, culture. Uh, optimization mentality. Yeah. You have oh breathing problem. Yeah. Breathing problem X. Here's it's solution like, solution X. I'm Andrew uh, Huberman. You know, that's, that's Here's like, science where we discuss science. Fucking <laughs> okay, I. So like, this annoys me. That I mean, guy. this is part. This is part of the the um the the whole issue that we're talking about is yeah. like people are in the West are, are uh, it's part of the reason that the traditions people are attracted to traditions because they have they have more than just a solution to yeah. them. You know, they're yeah. like they're it seems to have it all sorted out, and then they it's like opens up into a bigger thing than where they are currently, mm. which is true. <clears throat> For most mm. of them you know so um and then the practices are are integrated in with that but we're we're at the stage where we're having to integrate find and integrate practices with where we are already which is a culture that kind of lost all of these practices that just aren't as normal um still kind of a, a weirdo thing so it's much more I mean, when I first got into all the stuff, it was like a weirdo thing you didn't really mention. You didn't mention online and stuff. You know, like you went to websites and things where people were interested in these things, but you didn't like talk about it. You wouldn't talk about it openly in social media, not really. No way, yeah. Um, It's much more open now and it's more normalized now than it was. I think people forget how much of it was. um, uh, It's like the the esoteric has become much more exoteric now. Mm, Yeah. 
yeah, you know, you had all, all, all the, um, what was it, the Satanist scares uh, during the, what was it, the 90s? Was it Reagan, the Reagan era? They had all that. I think I was a bit young uh, to, to see it. But yeah, people do forget that it wasn't always out in the open necessarily. Um, that's, that's for sure. And also, and also, there is actually the actual weirdos who, who get into stuff first. You know, it's like the crazy people who mm. are the ones that first travel around the world on their own when there's no connections and, you know, like no crazy necessarily people who do things like that. So the first, uh, it's either like, you know, the very open-minded, curious people go out looking for these things and bring them back, or it's the psychopaths who are going out looking for less restricted places in order to do their thing mm. or it's you know like so the it's expect it's to be expected that most people will think anyone doing strange things like this there's something weird or wrong about them mm. um but because it's all coming in more and this is one of the dangers for people in the, in the west at the moment is there's so many different practices and some of them are some of them most of them a lot of them don't really do much but a few of them are really pretty powerful and if you just start doing it without any idea of what will come later, you can really mess yourself up Yeah. because the, the you know, the tradition will cover this, you know, like in yeah. ways of dealing with it, you know, even the, the Zen guys kind of ignoring all the weird shit that happens yeah. or just like, you know, that's, yeah. that's their way. They have a method. Whereas if you're left on your own, you probably won't do that. You'll get fascinated and um, obsessed over little things that they'll just kind of would probably just roll their eyes at. Um, it's just like child's play to them. But to you, it's the most important spiritual experience of your life and everything changes now. And now I'm a awakened spiritual being and now I must tell everybody on, on Twitter. Hmm. Uh, but uh, then after a while, you realize, oh, no, I'm just the same fucking idiot underneath. <laughs> I just had an experience, the same guy. Yeah. So then you're trying other stuff and then something happens and you're like, oh, no, this actually has changed in some way. Um, not what I expected, but it's definitely something real has happened. And, uh, and you know you're you're getting somewhere. And then you, like, then over time you start to recognize you kind of a intuitive understanding of who's got the, thing, the way they talk about who's got the thing that really does that and does things and does them quickly that you can trust and who's just, it's some either waste of time or it's something that takes too long or uh, you just don't, you just know you don't need that so you don't get involved. Yeah. And who's trying to fuck the students? <laughs> um, yeah, tradition. There you go. It's two hours of tearing down tradition and not tearing it down, I guess, but rationalizing it. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't I, think we tore it down. I think it was yeah, like, yeah. Um, I, I, res I respect a lot of it. And um, it's, you know, it's like a lot of the stuff I'm doing came from somewhere like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, some things didn't or more recent, but a lot of other things, very old. So, so what I'm getting out of this is, and it was guys yeah. like us that were doing these things. People oh, forget totally. this. It was just yeah. guys like us that started doing all these things, mm. and then they became got somebody clicked on something, or they connected with something higher, or however you want to think about it. It doesn't matter. Uh, and then it just became something. So it's just some old guy, and a thing happened after it. And now, with hindsight, we're looking back to those guys, but we can't see that it's just a guy. We can't see that clearly because there was so much structure and history in the way. Hmm. Mythology, it's just yeah. like it's just a guy on their version of twitter going we need to do some new thing this is not working hmm. yeah yeah I, I, you know i think uh the biggest takeaway for me in this uh, discussion is <clears throat> really defining what you're trying to do uh, even in the tradition if you want to pursue a tradition is like what what am i here for 
what, maybe looking at like, why, why am I here? Why am I driven to do this? Um, and then if, if you're picking and choosing different techniques and practices, you know, maybe examine why are you doing it? What, what are you trying to achieve with this thing? What, what's it, its utility? Is, is it worth the trouble? Could I get that thing more easily in a more stock standard way? You know, they're all important considerations. Um, having said that, you know, I, as I said, I, I still kind of operate in a tradition, kind of. Um, I'm heretical. I'm not a particularly good Buddhist person. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's something to hold on to. That's what I like about it. It's something to hold on to. And uh, it, it does give you, you know, as you, as you were saying, when, when weirder stuff happens, it gives you something to hold on to, um, which I think is important as well for people. But, you know, maybe um, when you hit some degree of maturity, then picking and choosing things because you've defined what it is you're after becomes much easier. Um, and in that respect, maybe it's a good idea to start somewhere uh, in a tradition of, of some kind. But yeah, I, you know, as you were saying before, I just can't believe any of it. <laughs> I, can't. I don't even believe in enlightenment as such anymore. Not, not in the mystical way that people put it. I, I believe that you can foster a non-dual awareness and become, you know, as they say, fully cooked. Um, but I, you know, the way that people describe enlightenment, I don't even believe in that. I don't even think it's, I think it's been steeped in mystical language. And I think people have lost all sight of what maybe the Buddha was getting at originally. Um, it's my, the, the, my theory. The, way the people, yeah, have, have exaggerated what it means, you know, that you become this perfect mortal being and you're yeah. the superior light form and all this stuff. It's actually preventing more people from having those uh, experiences of evil uh, from reaching those stages. It's prevented people because they're looking for things that aren't there. It's much more matter of fact than they probably think mm. in some ways. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, you'll notice the last we've talked about this roundabout ways for a few episodes now, and we're usually avoiding the E word because it's just <laughs> it gives people the wrong idea. And just saying really clumsy things like the understanding of the relationship between the yeah, yeah, just subject and object just, all that stuff, yeah. uh, which I hate saying all of it. But um, uh, I mean, that was the goal for me. It was like, I didn't know what it was. There's some breakthrough into something. Um, not really clear what it was. And I wasn't, uh, I didn't really have a kind of romantic view of it. Uh, of it's like, uh, or I didn't want to be, I think I did want to be the perfect wise sage man. But I don't think <laughs> it was like, I, don't, I wasn't really wanting the, wasn't really an escapism thing for me. It was more I wanted more yeah. rather than to get away from something, you know. I wanted more here rather than to be someone else. And um, uh, just over time, it just like the the big split that we have between mind and body, between you know psychological and physical, especially in the West. Over time, we're doing all these practices and thinking about it more. You realize the split resolves itself. You kind of overcome the split. You don't. You don't solve it. You just overcome it, and things are seen in a different way. And uh, it's just um, everything else is just bad after that. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, it's a good way to finish. <laughs>